So that's the one thing that I think that I wish I got that sooner was. So the big question is what are top agents doing to absolutely crush it in real estate? To get the answers, we interview the top real estate agents to learn their secrets to success. If you would like one-on-one access to over 26 of the top agents in the country to help you scale your business, then head over to EliteAgentSecrets.com slash partner, or you can just click the link in the description below. My name is Andrew Dunn. And my name is Peter Michael. Welcome to Elite Agent Secrets. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Elite Agent Secrets. Today, I'm joined by Dan Hojabri. Now get this, because Dan has been licensed for over 19 years, but only full-time for the last eight. He runs a team that averages over 100 plus units per year, and he has a very unique approach to business because they focus on developing relationships with those not only in their database, but through it, he has become the official mayor of the town. So he has also purchased... Fun fact, the building where he took his real estate pre-licensing classes, and that's where he operates his team out of. Now, for today's topics, we're going to be covering building a database through community events. And topic number two, we're going to talk about creating a VIP program and loving on it. We'll explain what that means. And in topic number three, we're going to be creating an experience all the way through transactions, the ins and outs, everything you need to know in order to look like a baller in front of your clients. So Dan, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great, Peter. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me on. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be able to share a few things that we've been able to do uh, in our business and our team uh, that made us you know, what we are now. That's amazing. That's amazing. Listen, I have to know, just like everybody else listening to this, You've been in business, or I should say licensed for 19 years, but you've been in business for the last eight. What the heck happened in the 11 years that you were licensed? Yeah, that's a great question, man. Um, Well, I started off 19 years ago in real estate. Um, I actually was hired to be an assistant to an investor who flipped houses in our market. And um, I basically benefited him if I was licensed. So that's what I got my license with with him um, as a licensed admin uh, for three years. And then um, funny thing happened, um, the Monday, the week of Thanksgiving week in uh, 2006, uh, I walked into the office with a box on my desk and um, basically he fired me. <laughs> um, a few things were happening. Um, you know, one, the market was kind of changing a bit and foreclosures. And two, um, he heard I was looking for another another opportunity, another job, um, because I wasn't happy where I was at. So he kind of canned me. And in that next, I would say year and a half journey, I was like, well, you know, I'm licensed. I can do real estate. Let me just start working with some clients. But the problem was when you work for an investor, you're not really servicing clients. You're just doing transactional work. And I didn't know how to lead generate for people. I didn't know how to service really people through um, a transaction. Um, I just knew investment side of it. And um, of course, you know, we all know what happened to 0809. And I was forced into um, getting a job essentially uh, because I, I couldn't cut it as an agent at the time. Um, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I knew I had bills. I knew my wife was in nursing school and I had to find a way to make it work. So I was a, um, I guess, considered a dual career agent for the next six years. Um, in that six years, I, I went from managing a customer service department of a retailer to um, working as a systems analyst in IT uh, for about you know the last four years of that. 
And uh, in that time period, I had a couple kids. Um, I have four now, but at the time, you know, we were having our second child and got to thinking about time and looking at, you know, where I wanted to be present more and and my home life and not so much at work and figured, you know, real estate gives me that freedom and flexibility that I really want to, um, you know, be present. And I pursued that, that path to do real estate full-time. And that's when I made the switch over to, um, you know, a full-time agent, uh, quitting my job back at the end of 2014 and hitting the ground hard in 2015, um, to make it. And that's where it kind of the journey has been. Isn't it amazing how we get into this business for time freedom and being more present? And especially in the beginning, we have either of those. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you say that because that was the reason, the freedom and flexibility. And, you know, I, I set the ceiling, right? Like if I fail, it's on me. If I succeed, it's on me. And I'll tell you that first year in 2015, when I hit the ground running full time, um, you know, my wife and I were having a conversation at the beginning of the year. And she's like, you know, what's your goal this year? You know, what what do you what do you want to hit as far as, you know, sales and everything and reflecting on the previous year in 2014, when I was a dual career agent, I had sold 17 homes for about, you know, 4.6 million as a part time agent, you know, which was pretty good, you know, for most. And my goal, I was like, well, if I can do four and a half million, you know, part time, I should be able to do 5 million full time. So that was my goal, 5 million. Well, by the end of 2015, I ended up selling 37 units. And it was ten and a half million. So I more than doubled what I intended to do. And I remember reflecting in the year of my wife, and we're talking about I was saying how great the year was. Like, oh my god, I made more money than I ever thought I was going to make. And um, she basically gave me like a metaphorical gut punch and said, you know, this has been the worst year. I I, I wish you know you would have chosen to work the other job and not real estate full time. And, and it kind of like set me back from it. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, she's like, well, you're working 80 to hundred hours a week. You're, you know, not home for dinner. Even when you are home, you're not really present. So this, this is terrible. Like I, you should have gone, you should have just chosen to stay where you were and not done real estate at this point. And, and it got me reflecting on my why, right? Like, why did I choose real estate over job I had. And, you know, from that, I had to reevaluate where I was and where I wanted to be. And which, you know, caused me to create systems and hiring people in order to accomplish what I wanted to, which is, you know, having the high production without the expense of my family and the time, the freedom and flexibility that we all, you know, again, like you mentioned, you know, we, we, we don't really have it. We, we think we have it, but if we really sit down and track what you're doing, you really don't have full control over what you're doing unless you're really um, intentional about it. So. Keyword: word. If you're very intentional about it and listen, I'm, I'm part of that club right now, right? Where mm-hmm. as, as much income as I'm, as I'm making, I'm blessed to have the clients as many hours as I'm putting in. Um, I'm either a 10 at work and a five at home and a three with the kids, or I'm a 10 at home with an eight with the kids and a three at work mm-hmm. and finding that balance. It is something that I can't figure out how to do, right? I'm not doing a yeah. hundred plus transactions just yet. My coach is on me about this, that I need to be more into a leverage business, aka a listing-based mm. business, or a more database business, ironically, or topic number one, right? Building a database yeah. community. Yeah. In the beginning, just to give you a little bit of context, like I came to a brand new area 
Not a single person that I knew, no sphere, no friends, no influence. So I ran an internet leads business. And anybody that's running an internet leads-based business, they know that it is not an easiest piece of bread. So the fact that you went from like four or eight, 4.8, 5 million in, in part-time to 10 plus million very quickly, you know, once you made that decision, I'm assuming it wasn't doing it the way I did it. I'm assuming you had to do something with topic number one. Hey, I just wanted to jump in here and let you know, if you would like access to over 26 of the top agents in the country to help you scale your business, then head over to eliteagentsecrets.com slash partner, or you can just click the link in the description below. Now back to the show. So I'd like to unpack that a little bit to figure out how as agents, we can get off this fucking hamster wheel, 80 to 100 hour work weeks, this hustle mentality that's been glorified by our society, because while it is great, it's not for everybody. You can still make good income without doing 80 hours a week. You can still do 40, 50 hours a week, still be present with your family. Mm -hmm. Now I have big, filthy goals that scare <laughs> the living bejesus out of me. So maybe I am going to be doing the 80 to 100 hours, but how can we be more efficient? How do we build our database? Let's dive in. Yeah, well, you touched on earlier about the balance, right? You know, and I think that's the the thing that we desire and we talk about is work life balance. And if you really look at it day to day, it's it's an it's a counterbalance, you know, where there's some days where you know your work is more take up more of your time than your family time. There's other days where your family time is more than your work time. And it's that constant challenge of the balance. And for me, looking at it and saying, okay, if I if I only have so much time or so many hours in a day to focus on business and not just servicing clients, but attracting new clients. Um, servicing you know, takes majority of the time too. Yeah. Servicing bogs down 80, 90% of my day sometimes. Yes. And servicing is really, you talk about leveraging, right? Through listings. Well, to me, leveraging is, you know, the servicing part. What can I take off my plate in the servicing realm that doesn't need a licensed person to do? And I, I really had to take what do I do in a transaction? What do I do for the life of a, a service and a client? And I wrote everything down. It was all in my head how to do it. But then I wrote every single thing down. I listed it out just to the minute task. And then I start to look at the things to say, okay, what tasks are $20 an hour task and what tasks are $500 an hour task. And for that $20 an hour task, I can hire somebody to do these things. And by getting that time back, which you'll find that if you do this exercise correctly, and you really are um, very intentional about how, how you do, you know, write everything out, list everything, you will find that about 20% of that list will be things that only you can do as a licensed person that are the high dollar an hour producing activities. So which means that if if I were to leverage that other 80% of things by hiring somebody, an assistant, for example, to do those things, well, I just saved myself way more time. I have more time back. And with that extra 80% of that time that I was spending on those things, I have a choice to make. I can either spend that time on my business or spend that time with my family. And different stages of life, different days, weeks, months, whatever it is, that's going to change day to day, what you do. Um, but for me at that time, I was like, okay, what is the highest producing uh, things I can do? Well, contacting people that 
know me, like me, and trust me. Because those are the people that are more likely to give me a referral or an introduction to somebody who's thinking about buying or selling a home. I used to advertise for a while with those online lead generation tools. And through that process, I had I had like a a business identity crisis, if you want to call it that. I took my business from the previous year and I looked at it. It's okay, of all the transactions that I did last year, where do they come from? What were the sources of them? And I found actually the majority of them, I would say it was like two thirds to uh, three quarters of the business that I was doing year over year were coming from people that I was in a relationship with, either um, you know past clients, uh, people in my sphere of influence, or businesses that I have worked with that they past me business. So it was all relational based, but only, you know, a third, you know, to maybe a quarter of my business were from what I will call online window shoppers, which is like your online lead generation tools, right? You, you get people who are looking at homes online on their, on their tablet or on their phone, uh, going to different apps, they're going to websites and they're like, that house looks cool. I, I want to see that house or that. I like that. And they click that little button. And then all of a sudden their information sold to no, numerous people who are contacting them, trying to fight for the same person. People coming out of the trenches. <laughs> exactly, and you're you're all fighting for the same person to do the same job, essentially. Um, and I'm like, man, like that's not who I am. I'm I'm more of a relational person. So I would much rather spend my time talking to people that again, who are not online shopping like that. That you know, kind of have a relationship with me. We ha- are familiar with each other, and and. To do that, I have to spend time making contact. Well, the issue I had at that time was working with my coach, as you talked about your coach earlier, that to support the, the level of business you want to have, how many people do you need to be in contact with? Not just uh, daily, but just on an annual basis. How many people in your database? And do you have a database? And at the time, I had an Excel spreadsheet of like past clients and maybe some people trickled in there that I knew, um, you know, name, at least the you know, name, phone number or name and email address. So I had some kind of information on them. And I had roughly 300 or so people on that list. And we quickly determined like, well, that 300 or some people are not going to get you to your goals you set. So you need to come in contact with more people. You need to get more people in your database. And that's when it became very, very intentional about adding people to my database. And I'm not what you would call a cold call prospector. That's never been my style. Um, I know when I when I joined the, the brokerage I'm with, you know, I jumped into a program they have, it's like an eight week class. And it's basically like boot camp. you know, like, Oh, make sure you come next week with your list of for sale by owners. And next week come with your list of expired listings. And we're going to call them right Dude, now. That's, and- that's the shit that I'm kind of going through right now. And full <laughs> disclosure, I'll be honest yeah. with y'all. Yeah. I had a big mind shift because I, I hated doing the cold calling stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got bills to pay. I got kids to feed. And at this point, it's like, if somebody tells me, Hey bro, you can make half a million bucks or a million bucks by running around naked up and down the street or, you know, on the, on the main highway, fuck it. I'll do it. Right. <laughs> so my coach was like, listen, I know this is out of your comfort zone. I know you absolutely suck at this. I know this is not your strength and it goes against literally everything. Oh, and by the way, it's the second biggest fear that you've had. Uh, you're going to do it. And I've been a pussy about it like that (laughs) full brutal honesty and it's okay but i picked up the phone and i'm still here i'm not dead i'm facing my fears and i'm acquiring the skill set and guess what that makes me so much better because we're in a skill-based business now we're in a skill-based market now you know um 
where I had this mind shift and for anybody listening, internet leads is the same thing. It's literally essentially a cold call, right? They yeah. just opted in and said, I want to buy houses. But when you call them, nine out of 10 of them say, well, I, I never opted into anything. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't me that clicked that button. <laughs> yeah. So when I'm calling like those expires, I haven't done the Fizbos yet. So I'm sure that's a little bit of a different conversation. But they're like, you're like the 15th person that called me today. I'm like, great. Maybe I'll be the last one because you officially will sign because you're absolutely getting beaten up by everybody else. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think database is. It's really relationships. Oh, yeah. Right. You yeah. are depositing positive energy and you're building a relationship equity account, if you want to think of it as a bank account, mm -hmm. until you are ready to withdraw. Yes. And that's a great analogy. I, I've heard that before. And, and it makes total sense. Like if I were to go to the ATM right now, I open a brand new account and I just put my card in and try to withdraw money. Well, there's nothing to pull from because there's no money in there, right? I just opened the account. I haven't given it anything, any value in there or any, Bingo. I haven't come from contribution. So how can I expect to get something back from something that I haven't invested anything in? So I have to provide some kind of value there. And it's that whole like deposit, 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 withdrawal, deposit, 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 withdrawal. And that's kind of what we really gear our, our business on our database is how do I come from contribution? How do I, how do I provide so much value to these people that when I call them, they're not like, Oh, great. Calling again. Like, what does he want? You know? And I think that's what happens a lot of times we're, we're trained to like call the people, you know, and, and ask them who they know buy or sell a home. It's like, yeah, I, I understand that that should happen in the conversation, but that shouldn't be the reason for your conversation right? For your call or for your text. It's Bingo. Hey, what can I do to help you? You know? Yeah. Hey, I mean, so, at least, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's coming from a place of value and contribution, not coming from a place of having a hand out and begging for business. This is where I see agents make a mistake. And we're talking about community events. When you're inviting somebody, first of all, you're spending a ton of money. There's a lot of effort that goes into the planning. A lot of effort goes pre-event. A lot of, lot of effort goes for stuff during the event and then post the event. The sheer amount of energy that's expelled into actually putting a great event that people are going to talk about is, is crazy. So that's value and contribution there. It's not just, hey, come for a free drink. Come for a happy hour. Come for some you know, appetizers, right? It's like, come, meet, connect, create this community of people and meet other highly valuable people in the same room that are, oh, by the way, my clients. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's how do I create such an experience there or, or a reason for people to come that they want to engage in that conversation. They're welcoming it. And it's not threatening as if like, you know, Hey, put my name in a hat and then, you know, they're going to call me and they're going to market to be on, on your spam list. It's like, and they're going to ask me, and that's what who, we, who's the referral? Who can I give this? Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 But that's, that's, that's the thing is like, that's why we went to, to the, the community events was because you know, my database was so small. I needed to grow it. I needed to get in front of more people. And it would take me years and years and years to get it, you know, to personally meet, you know, thousands of people that I needed my size, my database to get to, to support my goals. So I decided community events is actually maybe the way to go because I am much better face-to-face, belly-to-belly with people than I am just cold calling somebody. Um, 
because that wasn't my style. Like I said, when they, they would say, pull that list out, we're going to start calling these people. I would get a pit in my stomach. Like I hated it. I would try to find a way to duck out of the room. I'd go in the corner, pretend like I was going to, you know, but they told you not to do is don't call your mom. And I call my mom like, Hey mom, how's it going? I checking in. How's you know, we going to do dinner Sunday, you know? Um, because I was trying to appear that I was making my calls, but really it wasn't serving me. And I was like, you know, what, what am I really good at? Let's focus, let's double down on that. And that's where it became the community of events. And I remember, you know, um, for us, you know, looking at those events, it's finding out, you know, what can we create that would create that community that more people would come to. And being that I have kids, I'm like, well, what, as a father, what, what would I like to see our town do or put on that would cause like a gathering of people that I would take my kid to? And you know, a simple thing such as uh, outdoor movie night, you know, it is, it is one of the most simple things you can put on is outdoor movie night. And it draws a crowd of people to come. And Getting people to come is one thing, but how do I get them in my database? Well, you create things like um, if you if you um, pre-register to come, we will provide you with a free popcorn container. You know, we're going to serve popcorn there, and we'll give you the paper bags. But if you want a plastic one, just you know, pre-register, and you'll make sure you guarantee getting one um, when you arrive at the thing. Even if you didn't pre-register, um, hey, by signing in, you get to spin the prize wheel, which will, you'll get a guaranteed prize. You know, so you create these ways of getting people to voluntarily give their name, phone number, and email address for you to contact and invite to the next event. Not sit there and just start spamming them with, are you looking to buy or sell? No, and you have a list now of people who are already engaged in an event, who are interested in events. So how can I create the next event and invite them to it? And through that, you get the law of reciprocity, right? So if I do something good for somebody, they feel obligated to do something good back to me, for me, if I'm not asking for any, like a handout, like you said. So that's what we ended up doing, creating these community events. We, we call it, our, our term we doctrine was find a need, fill a need. And for us, it's like, okay, where's the need in our community? Where's the need? And how do I create a solution to where people would you know, come to this and attend this? And through that, we grow a database. And we went from 300 people that year. Um, within a few years, we grew it to 3,000. Now we're just shy of 9,000 people in the last, I would say, six years. We grew the database from, wow. from a community events primarily. Yeah. And so here's what I like about your database. People know you, they've seen you, they've met you, they've come to your event. You're top of mind. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a no brainer. Like we, we can probably talk about these events for the next hour, but it, <laughs> what is the one thing that you wish you knew when you started building your database through community events before you, you know, you, if you were to do it again, I should say the one yeah. thing that which was an absolute game changer for you. Yeah, I think what changed it for us was not focusing the success of the event based on how many people turn out to the event, but focusing on the activities we're building around that event. I mean, you kind of touched on it earlier about how much energy it takes to plan it and you know to set it up and to host it and then to follow up afterwards and everything, tear down everything else. There is a lot of effort there, but take that event and say you say you plan something in November and build an, an eight by eight plan, meaning that there's eight weeks leading up to it, you have eight touches that you're doing to people leading up to it. The day of the event you're doing something, and then you have a follow-up plan after that where you have at least three touches afterwards. And and if you just count that, you're already at 12 touches from one event. You know, you have eight touches there the day of, and then you have three after. You're at you're at 12 touches that you had. And had we done that sooner, I think we would have had um, 
a, a better response rate for um, those introductions to people, the referrals, because, you know, I, I think we're like, oh, maybe we did all this work and we only had 10 people show up to this event. And it's like, well, are we measuring the success of the turnout or measuring the success based upon how many introductions we were, we got from people who were thinking about buying or selling or from that. That's what we, our focus is really on. It's not, I tell people like pie day, right? People, a lot of people do pie day around Thanksgiving. It's not about the pie. Who cares if you give out one pie or 200 pies? It doesn't matter. What matters is, did you do the work necessary to make the contacts? That's what you're after, the contacts and coming from contribution, calling them. I have people all the time that I'll call and invite for to get a pie. And they're like, no, we're going to Aunt Sally's house. And she she makes all the pies there. Great. Fantastic. But guess what? They know that I, I thought about them. They, they were very thankful that I called them to think to, to give them that offer. You know, so that's what it's about. That's the connection piece that you're really getting. So that's the one thing that I think we learned. I wish I got that sooner. Was that not to measure the success of an event based upon who comes or the turnout, the number of people, but all the different activities we did around that event to generate more value to people and the top of mind awareness. Really. I love it. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not surprised. It's actually one of my fears was nobody turning up to the event and making that the centerpiece of, you know, how I measure the success of the event, but taking a step back and knowing that the success of the event is measured by the activity and the business that comes from it. Cause ultimately that's the goal. That's the outcome that we're seeking is much better because you could have three people show up and you could get two referrals or you could have 30 people show up and get one referral. So what was more successful? The 30 that showed up or the two that you know opened up additional doors? Now, they're both successful in my opinion. However, I like to grow the business, which means that if that event didn't pan out and I didn't have the 30 show up, there's an opportunity for the next one. Maybe it was the wrong time. Maybe it's my first one. Maybe I screwed up somewhere along the lines. Maybe I didn't create the proper follow-up. However, the one thing is we want to make sure that we're creating a VIP program and loving on it. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you would like one-on-one access to over 26 of the top agents in the country to help you scale your business, then head over to EliteAgentSecrets.com partner, or you can just click the link in the description below.